For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. It is Monday, August 14th. There was lots of news out of Disney last week, but the most interesting to me is this new gambling partnership between ESPN and Penn Entertainment, which currently operates in 16 states. Bob Iger, the CEO, famously said he didn't think gaming was the right fit for Disney. But that was back in 2019, a long time ago, when Disney was in a very different place. Today, Iger needs the money. And gambling is more mainstream. The Penn relationship will pay Disney $1.5 billion over 10 years, plus $500 million in stock. $2 billion bucks sounds great, but it's actually not that much when you consider how big Disney is. And ESPN has to give up relationships with DraftKings and FanDuel, the two leaders in the space. It also feels like Iger and his ESPN leader, Jimmy Pitaro, are a bit late to the sports gambling space. Ethan Strauss, the sports business journalist, wrote this week, Disney could have reaped so much more from this deal four years ago. But four years ago, Disney wasn't desperate enough to effectively back a digital casino. Exactly. ESPN is in a very weird spot these days. It's still incredibly profitable. In the first six months of the year, the Disney unit with ESPN generated $3 billion in profit. That's not revenue, that's profit. And while the ad market is cratering in the rest of linear TV, ESPN is holding steady. But it lost about 30 million subscribers in the past decade. Sports rights are enormously expensive, as we've discussed in the show, and Iger hasn't quite figured out how it's going to transfer over to streaming. The one thing we do know is that the linear numbers aren't going to get better. Pitaro is cutting shows, firing sports center anchors and NBA commentators. Iger needs growth, or even the illusion of potential growth. And that's what this gambling deal is, even if it means the Walt Disney Company is now empowering your uncle's destructive gaming habit. There's lots of opinions about what Iger should do with ESPN. Everything from spinning it off with a bunch of the company's debt to selling it to Apple or Amazon or finding a minority investor, which is what he says he's doing now. So today we've got Lucas Shaw back and we're going to get into those options, the pros and cons, and try to answer the question, what should Bob Iger do with ESPN? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Tap. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. Welcome back, Lucas. Great to be here, feeling uh, feeling refreshed. Oh, that's nice. I'd like to hear that you're refreshed. All right, let's talk about ESPN and the ESPN angle on this, because... You know, there's been a lot of coverage of, oh, ESPN's getting into the gambling business, which I agree is a big deal. I think it's a little different than, you know, installing slot machines in Fantasyland. Like, this is not the Disney proper 
brand. This is the ESPN brand, which if you watch SportsCenter or any of their content these days, the gambling stuff is all over SportsCenter. They integrate it into the shows. They have commercials. It's not like this is, you know, pearl clutching over at, at ESPN. They know gambling is part of the sports culture now. But it is something that Iger said that they weren't interested in doing. And now they are not just doing it. They are the face of a digital casino, essentially. But the reaction that I see that's most interesting is, is not that Disney is doing this. It's that Disney is kind of late to the party. They should have done this a while ago. And in fact, Bob Chapek was clamoring to do this when he was running Disney. It's almost like Iger... And Disney, Disney explored doing this, my understanding, before Iger left. Mm. And why didn't they? There's been some version of this being discussed for years, to your point, because the company has seen the rise of gambling, or we should say perhaps the spread of legalization in many, many states where it is legal. And had they done the deal before many of the popular sports books got big, that brand would have meant more, right? So DraftKings and FanDuel have large portions of the marketplace. They don't really need ESPN to sell themselves to people. You have other gambling companies that have also gotten into it. And so they had an opportunity probably early on also when the ESPN brand was even stronger than it is today, where they could have charged a lot more. And ESPN did have a stake in DraftKings that Disney got via Fox, and that's now gone. But DraftKings and FanDuel also spent enormously to acquire that market position. Penn has sort of been the also-ran in this business. That's why Disney getting into business with this company that's sort of not even the leader in the space has kind of rubbed people the wrong way. Although I hear it from the Disney side where they say Penn is hungry. They need to make this work. They want to make it work. And the ESPN brand can actually do a lot for them. So it makes more sense for ESPN to be in business with Penn than it would a company like DraftKings or FanDuel, who, as you said, don't really need ESPN at this point. I mean, look, from a financial perspective, even if it's not as big a deal as they could have gotten a little bit ago because the, some of those companies have heard, it's basically pure profit for this company. It's a sponsorship. You just put ESPN's name. I mean, there are other complexities, of course, but you put ESPN's name on a bunch of sports books and they use that to try to sell it to customers and ESPN gets paid $150 million a year. Plus, they get some warrants related to stock in the company and in Penn and all that. But it's a really, really nice branding deal for ESPN. The question is, is the ESPN brand going to be enough to matter for Penn that people are going to start using their products instead of these competition? And so, you know, it's a 10-year deal. But five years from now, will Penn still have a, a pretty tiny market share? And this won't mean much. Right. And we will see. I don't know. I tend to think that... It's not so much the branding of ESPN, but the integration into the content. If they could push this via their channels, via the website, via SportsCenter, via all the different ESPN-branded media outlets, they can make this meaningful. Yeah, whenever there's a pregame show and they want to talk about the betting lines or what you should be doing, and they can, there can be promo for ESPN Bet. Yeah, although Fox tried this and didn't work. Foxbet <laughs> is being retired. RIP Foxbet. And look, ESPN's brand in sports is obviously stronger than Fox's, but Fox has a lot of important assets. So the fact that they couldn't make it work is 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 not great. Right. And as much as $2 billion 
is for this deal, it's a drop in the bucket for the overall financial picture of ESPN. And that's what I wanted to talk about because you at Bloomberg have published some theories about what Iger should do with ESPN. And your reporting is that the financial community believes that it might be more prudent to either spin off ESPN into a separate standalone entity and the fact that ESPN's financials are going to be broken out separately from the other television units later this year is an indication that Disney is at least thinking perhaps about doing that. Um, Another scenario would be that all of the linear networks, including ABC, FX, Freeform, spin them off entirely into a new company and either put ESPN with that or don't put it with that. But ESPN is going to be a big factor in the success of any spun company. And then the other option is potentially sell the whole thing, find a buyer, get out of the sports business. I don't think Iger's interested in that. At least he hasn't said that. Right now, he seems to be focused on trying to find a minority investor, whether that's a deep-pocketed financial outlet or some sports league or someone that can get them what he says is content or distribution. But what's the current state of play from your understanding of what people think Iger should do with ESPN? Well, should and will, I would say, are are two different things. There's right? pros there's, and cons of each one. There's what Iger has said is he's open to selling or bringing on some kind of partner for ESPN, but doesn't want to give up sell all of ESPN. But what does that actually mean? I mean, if you actually get into that, the the options are limited. So Hearst already owns about 20% of ESPN. So Disney owns 80%. Disney wants to keep controlling it, which means controlling stake is 51%. So basically, there's 20 to 30% of ESPN that Disney would be open to selling uh, as part of some financial arrangement. And Iger has made clear that he's more interested in strategic partners than financial partners. So he doesn't want someone to just come in to buy 20% so that he can have a bunch of money to use for whatever, you know, pay down debt, fund programming, that sort of thing. When you think about strategic partners, that could be sports leagues because they have the rights that ESPN already has. That doesn't make a lot of sense for reasons we can get into. There's a technology partner that he's talked about. That could either be a phone internet company like a Verizon, T-Mobile, very unlikely considering the recent history of Verizon and AT&T and media. (laughs) Who lost their shirts in media. Yeah, keep going. Or a tech company like an Apple or an Amazon that have started to buy sports rights that could get access to more via a deal with ESPN and also have some great expertise in streaming. But why would Apple or Amazon want to buy 30% of an asset? These are massive trillion-dollar companies. Like, what? what's the, the benefit of that? They like to own. I don't fully understand why. The, 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 the most credible argument for it that I've heard is that they want access to more rights. And so if they took, say, 25% stake in ESPN and through that could transfer over some basketball, some football, some college sports, whatever, to also offer on their platform. Now, that I get why that makes sense for an Apple or an Amazon. It's a little bit weird, though, because they'd be investing in something that they'd then sort of be taking rights away from, and so it would make that asset less valuable. Right. Why would that, why would that make sense to Disney? It's like you, your investor is siphoning off the value. 
And I guess the other argument is those companies don't have have always needed partners in producing their live sports. And this would allow them to bring some of that ESPN expertise in house. That seems like a very expensive way of doing that. For example, Amazon airs Thursday Night Football, but it's actually a, a largely NBC team that produces that show. There is another option, uh, which is another strategic, right, where you could have a fellow media company, a Comcast, Warner Brothers Discovery, a Paramount, start to form essentially what is a sports JV. Now, from everything I've heard, there are a bunch of interested parties in some kind of deal with ESPN. Nobody has has really broken out the specifics beyond some reporting around ESPN approaching sports leagues that was then quickly turned into, but the sports leagues didn't understand the deal. Well, the sports league, and just to get it out of the way, the sports leagues would have a problem here because they sell their rights to everybody. So if they were in business with ESPN as an, you know, an investor in the company, the other buyers of their content wouldn't love that. And it would, it would just create a lot of conflicts. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense for any of those leagues to own a piece of one of their media rights partners. And so we'll see who a, a potential, potential partner is. That's what Iger has said he wants to do. And he's also sort of floated this idea that any other linear networks and stations are for sale. He hasn't said it in quite those language in quite that language, but he's basically said linear TV assets are non-core. And there are a lot of people, including top analysts on Wall Street, including his own top advisors, who believe that he should take all the linear TV networks and the TV stations and spin them off into a separate company. They believe that should include ESPN, but as we've discussed, Iger is is not really sold on that right now. And that's the question, because this is not as simple as just offloading certain assets and keeping other assets. I mean, as you've noted, I've noted that if you have ESPN, but not ABC, that puts you at a big disadvantage for things like the NBA, which would very much like to have the finals on ABC and games once or twice a week on ESPN. And that's the big advantage that Disney has over another buyer like Warner Discovery, which does not have a broadcast network. And ESPN is a driver of affiliate fees, of subscriber fees in the cable bundle, which is not insignificant. I mean, that is a huge driver of revenue for the company. And if you take ESPN and separate it out into another company, you potentially lose that driver of revenue that impacts the rest of the company. And not to mention the whole problem of what do you do if you keep Hulu and Disney Plus and then you separate out these other networks? How do you cross-collateralize the content? Like where you can air certain things on the network and then put them on Hulu, but maybe you don't control that. Like there's so many things that you would have to work out if you spin off certain distribution assets and keep others. A spinoff is not clean cut or easy, especially because of all the overlapping content and programs that are owned by Disney, but live on Hulu and rights that are split apart. It's also the reason why the Disney and Comcast having to resolve the of Comcast selling its 30% stake back to Disney is complicated because there's all sorts of programming rights that are held up there too. My puck colleague, Bill Cohan, is still trying to convince everyone that Disney should swap the stake in ESPN for the Hulu stake, meaning, you know, they've got to pay this $10 billion to Comcast. And perhaps there's a deal to be done where there are certain Comcast assets that Disney is interested in. And there's certain 
Disney assets like ESPN, perhaps, that Comcast is interested in. And that there is a deal to be done there that would prevent Iger from having to write a $10 billion check. The issue with that is Comcast is trying to get out of having a minority stake in something that Disney controls. Why would it trade (laughs) one of those things for another one? (laughs) Yeah, I know. But ESPN is perhaps special. I mean, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I, I They have a great property in NBC Sports. They have the Olympics. They have potentially they're going to go after NBA on their own. So, yeah, that presents other problems. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including Outstanding Limited Series and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What about the idea of selling ESPN outright? Has that gone away? Is Iger just not interested in that? Or is there a price that Apple could come in and say, listen, you need this money. This is a rental business. You do not own this content. It's only going to get more and more expensive to show NFL and NBA. Let us come in, take this asset off the table and we will be able to compete better for sports rights. Disney can just go back to being a theme park, studios, and distribution outlet, not in the sports business. Iger seems to have poo-pooed that idea. But uh, you know what? You can poo-poo all you like, but which sounds like something that a 72-year-old CEO would say, poo-poo. But the reality is the reality. And if this company is going down, 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 which the linear TV bundle is taking it down, 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 Maybe this is the way to reverse that. The challenge for any tech company or why I'm not I'm skeptical that any tech company would want to buy ESPN outright. I mean, look, maybe they would. They're both investing more in sports rights. They have people who are big sports fans. But you, you gave the reason against it, which is they're renters. So what you're buying in ESPN is you're buying distribution that is less and less appealing every year, right? I mean, you can get ESPN Plus as part of it, but those companies have their own tech streaming services. They don't they don't really need it. So you're buying a linear network, which no tech company really wants. They're not going to want to negotiate affiliate fees with pay TV providers. They don't want to have to deal with the continued decline in viewership for those channels. So what they want is the rights. Now, those rights don't come available that often. So the, the reason to do it would be Okay, the NFL, ESPN has those those rights locked in for a very long time. A lot of the college sports they have locked up for a long time. Basketball is coming up, so that's one where you could weigh in. But it's clear that the leagues, for the most part, aren't ready to give the most valuable and important rights to a, to a streaming service, right? Like the NBA Finals are not going to be only on Apple or Amazon anytime soon. 
And so I, I can see some of the argument for it. I just think it's unlikely that they that buy a linear network. And I, in general, think that all of the speculation about Apple spending billions of dollars on a media company is unfounded. Yeah, we're not going to get into them buying all of Disney. But you do also buy the brand. The ESPN brand is meaningful. You buy the expertise. You buy the shows. You buy the people. Uh, if you've ever watched the Apple Friday Night Baseball telecast, you will know that it is not as good as the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast on ESPN. And that's something if Apple wants to be first in class, that's a way to do it. And with Apple, you know, money's no object. How would you assess the current state of the ESPN brand? You're a sports fan, not like a diehard diehard, but you know, you pay attention like and maybe you're the wrong person to ask because you're sort of of the age where ESPN still means a lot. But do you think it's as strong as it was? five? <laughs> How or 10 dare years you? How dare you tell me that I'm a linear brand disciple? Look, I grew up on ESPN. The brand does mean something to me. It's in decline. I think the average viewer of ESPN knows that the heyday is over. They're going through the motions that some shows still matter. Stephen A. Smith still matters. But, you know, I'm old enough to remember when SportsCenter was the only thing that mattered in sports media. And now that is not the case. Uh, I very rarely watch it. I watch live sports on ESPN. That is what if I, I care about baseball. I go to the MLB network because ESPN doesn't show a lot of baseball highlights. And, you know, some of the football shows, I think, do matter. But it just feels like that the heyday of ESPN when they were doing interesting things and trying to, you know, be a documentary producer. I mean, they won a freaking Oscar for the OJ show. Like those days are over and it just feels like managing decline. I mean, I was in Palm Springs over the weekend and on Saturday there was the NBA Hall of Fame ceremony. That's the kind of thing where growing up, I would have watched SportsCenter like five times on Sunday to catch up with all the sports, but also to watch clips from that. And I just went on YouTube and I could find every person's speech on the NBA YouTube channel. And I spent more than an hour on Saturday watching all of these Hall of Fame speeches. And wow. I didn't have to interact your life with is, ESPN. Your life is really happening these days. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to interact with ESPN once to do that. Yeah, I know. Well, we don't have to get into all the reasons why. The, I mean, it's clear. Nobody under 30 even cares or knows what ESPN is. I mean, they just know, oh, football, okay. And that's a problem when you have this <laughs> declining asset. And Iger knows this. The funny thing is, is that he knew it 10 years ago. He knew this was going to happen. And somehow he still seems to have been caught off guard. Or at least it, <laughs> not, or it's somehow not, maybe that's not fair, but it, it appears that way, right? He's like telling people it's so much worse than I thought it was. And it's like, buddy, you ran this company for, oh, a, they knew for they a knew. long time. Kevin Mayer, all these guys knew what was going to happen. The real question is why Iger came back. Like he knew he left at the perfect time. He bailed right when the peak happened and he knew that COVID was going to destroy their theme park business and that the streaming world, he priced Disney plus so low to get scale. And that was not sustainable long-term from a revenue and profit perspective, but he knew the market liked it. I mean, that's the other thing that we should talk about here is that all of this is happening because this is what the market wants, or at least Iger believes this is what the market wants. The Disney stock is down since he took over back in November, and he's got to get that up. And this is a growth 
narrative. Gambling is at least a growth story that he can tell. This is a, a business that is growing. And if you attach that to a linear television business that is not growing, maybe you can work some magic on the street and they will say, oh, okay, well, at least he's doing stuff that's looking at growth. Maybe, maybe the stock should be higher than where it is. But you know what's funny? So they had their earnings last week and the stock didn't move a lot or it went up and down, was basically flat neutral until they announced how much more money they were going to cut. That's what Wall Street wants to hear. When Disney says, oh, we're going to spend even less on programming and this is our strategy, it didn't jump when they raised, announced price increases. It didn't jump when they announced <laughs> some new shows. It jumped when they said, we're going to spend less money. It's like it's cost-cutting porn. Investors love cost-cutting porn. You know what? They have a lot of money that they spend. And you know what? You know what they're not going to make? They're not going to make the next OJ Made in America. That's just not on the ESPN agenda. It's too bad. Best documentary they ever made. So, Lucas, what should happen here? Let's put on our strategy hats. Where is the best home for ESPN? I think either you do the full spin, but if you do the full spin and you make Disney just this smaller, nimbler company built around family-friendly programming, you have to include ESPN with the linear networks. For all the reasons I said, just to keep them as one solidified business. Or keep it because it's still a great asset. I don't get the selling a, a small piece. I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. But keeping it is not tenable for the market. The market wants to see something happen here. Yeah, but you can sell some other stuff if you were really that desperate. <laughs> There's a version where if you're going to go all in on Disney, kind of Pixar and Star Wars and Marvel and all the and the classic Disney stories and everything, basically only things that would appear in a park are what you make and what you can watch on Disney Plus. And you sort of undo a lot of the Fox deal. Yeah, I guess you, you would spin slash sell all the networks. You would invest in something new. You'd do, go into video games or something like that. but the most logical buyers for a bunch of those networks are pretty much only private equity or another or consolidation, right? You would combine ESPN with another media company that has a lot of sports rights that would give it even more power. There'd be slightly fewer buyers for the rights, which would dilute the power of the leagues a little bit. I mean, they're able to extort these media partners, which is why the rights go up and up and up so much. And if you could consolidate a little power and on the media side for sports, that could be interesting. It does, is that something you sell back? It would, would never happen, but sell back to the Murdochs and you combine Fox Sports and ESPN's, these two longtime rivals. You sell that to David Zaslav and combine it with Warner Brothers Discovery. That to me is like kind of interesting, but I don't know that it happens. I don't see Iger selling ESPN. The dude's got a cheese head in his office. Have you ever seen that? He has a cheese head for the Packers that he stole from the ESPN restaurant at Disneyland that doesn't exist anymore. And he took it. I don't think he stole it. He had it put in his office. So this is a sports fan. He's not getting out of sports. Was that ESPN zone? The ESPN zone. Yeah. I used to go to ESPN zone in New York <laughs> all the time. Why? You didn't know that there were actual better sports bars? It was cool. I no, had my when birthday I was like 12, you'd go there and Wait, play video games. and you'd... Craig, you had your birthday there? My ninth birthday was at the ESPN Zone. <laughs> didn't they have, they had the little basketball, like the, the stationary basketball? The, the Papa Shot? Yeah, Papa yeah, Shot. Yeah, I love those. Yeah. Oh, well, wow. There were all sorts of games I could play. The ESPN Zone in Times Square. My family would go to New York for spring break. We'd stay somewhere in Midtown and I would have I would go to the NBA store to do the Papa shot. And I forget what I'd play at ESPN zone, but I would do something. there. 
Well, why did they go away if they were so great? Did, did Dave and Buster's market correct them? Like, what happened? I don't know the answer to that. We require a retail <laughs> Wait, wait. But you gave me crap. I said that either they should spin the whole thing or keep it. And you're like, well, you can't keep it. So what's your answer to this? My answer is that you exploit some sucker to give you billions of dollars for a minority interest. And that allows you to pay off the Hulu purchase price and compete better with sports. I agree with Iger. I think there's some dumb money out there that would want to buy into this and be manhandled by Disney and just be passive like Hearst has been. And that's the answer. We'll see shortly if, if we can will. pull it off. Well, that, and and we'll, we'll bet on this. And the loser has to buy the winner drinks at the one ESPN zone that still exists. Look, I think he can. I think you're right. And he could pull it off. I just I can't like in my brain wrap around why anyone else would want to pay billions of dollars to have no say in ESPN. But you get you get profit from it, I guess, over time. You figure you'll eventually make it back. Okay. 50 yard line seats for all the games. Yeah, that's true. ESPN zone does not still exist. Apparently, there's an ESPN club at Disney's Boardwalk Resort and the ESPN Grill are both, I think, in Walt Disney World. Oh, yeah. You know what? Everything still exists in Florida. Like <laughs> er, the Orlando stuff doesn't die. So, yeah, we could, the loser will have to buy the winner a drink at the ESPN Zone in Orlando. <laughs> You're never going to get me to Orlando. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks, Matt. All right. We are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Craig, are you aware of this new CNN lineup that it was unveiled this morning? To be honest, Matt, I couldn't be less aware of what CNN is doing today. <laughs> I kind of knew the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, you're not monitoring who's at what hour on CNN every night? I'm not. No. CNN no. is like, I don't know what, uh, CD players to me. I, it's just it, not a part of my life. Yeah, this feels a little bit like the you know deck chairs on the Titanic situation. But CNN did unveil an overhaul of its primetime lineup. And there's a bunch of people that got new jobs. They added an anchor to CNN this morning. They put Laura Coates at 11. The one I was interested in is Abby Phillip, who is a CNN political commentator who's great on election nights. She's like the sort of sane voice in the room. She is getting the 10 p.m. primetime slot, the previous Don Lemon spot. Mm, so is that the most coveted spot? No, CNN? no, no. Uh, I think what, eight or nine. Or yeah, yeah. Earlier, come on, the CNN audience, many, right, of them, right. many of them are not awake at 10 p.m. at night. Uh, but, you know, the West Coasters like me, like that's 7 p.m. for us. So it's hard to care about this stuff. But my prediction is that I think Abby Phillip will actually be a hit at 10 p.m. I think this is a smart move by CNN. She has the chops. We're heading into an election cycle. And this is as, as far as you can actually make a dent and a difference with who's anchoring what hour, I think this is actually a good move for CNN. So will she pass like the young person threshold? Will people my age know her like we know Anderson Cooper or something one day? Or no, no, I mean, no, there's no such thing as that anymore because none of these new people are coming of age at a time where newscasters became stars, really. And the three times a year you watch CNN, I'm assuming one of them is probably the election night and she is on their election coverage and is usually very good. Yeah. This is the first big shakeup they've done since Chris Licht was bounced from CNN as the, you know, the, as the leader. And I would say this is actually a, a smart move. And you know what? You will never know because you never watch CNN. 
It's the breaking news channel to me. That's what I call it. Right. Disasters and elections. Yeah. Just call it that. D&E. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. We will see you later this week. 